Get Off the Couch, Episode 4. Hi, I'm Matthew Hinman. In 2013, I lost over 60 pounds cycling and eating better. Unfortunately, I gained back about half that weight in 2014. This podcast is my journey toward losing that weight through cycling, better nutrition, and healthier living. I hope that my journey will inspire you too to get off the couch. Welcome back to another episode of Get Off the Couch. I have another great show in store for you, and I will be right back right after this. So you're needing that website set up really fast, and you need a good hosting company. Well, let me tell you about DreamHost. For just $8.95 a month, you can host any size website with options like WordPress and e-commerce with just a click of the mouse. And when you use promo code GOTC, you'll get a free domain registration. So if you haven't bought that domain yet, you can get it included with your hosting at DreamHost. They have web hosting made easy. So head over to DreamHost.com and use promo code GOTC. Thank you for staying with me on this journey that I'm taking to better health and weight loss. And today I've brought some friends of mine to join me as co-hosts on the show today. Behind the uh, green mic over there is Josh Cranfield. Say hi. Hey, guys. And behind the uh, orange mic over here is Curtis Hendricks. Hey, guys. What's up? Hey, so Josh and Curtis, they're both physically active. They do mountain biking, longboarding, awesomely fun stuff like that. And these guys are going to talk later about those sports. But I want to start off this episode with my weigh-in and my stats. Well, today I weighed in at 233.6 which is a difference of 1.4 pounds over last week. And I started out the show three weeks ago at 237.8. So I'm over four pounds down in three weeks. It's not too bad. Um, Still keeping on track. At least I'm going in the right direction. I'm going down. (laughs) Uh, I also rode a total of 24 miles this week, all outdoors on the road bike. I didn't do any time on the trainer. And of course, as daylight gets longer, I'll be able to, concentrate more on the writing. Are you guys running into issues sometimes where you just don't have enough daylight in the day to get any fun stuff done like that? Yeah. Sometimes we can find a parking lot for longboarding with the lights and go out and do some of that. Yeah. For me, it's just like when you're working all day long, you know, and I get, I work 30 miles away. And so I get home by five 30 and I've got maybe 45 minutes of daylight left. You just can't squeeze in a lot not without getting close to dusk and getting run over by Midland traffic. But (laughs) all right, now for my gear of the week. My gear pick of the week is the White Lightning Clean Ride Bike Lube. And this stuff is available at just about any bike shop, department stores, sporting goods stores. It usually runs about four to eight bucks a bottle, depending on what size you get. But the manufacturer claims this, that Clean Ride sets up as a dry wax film There's no oily film to attract abrasive contaminants. So your chain and your gears will perform better and last two to three times longer. Clean rides, self-cleaning action is activated by any dirt, grit, or grime that finds its way onto your chain or parts. Small particles of the outer wax structure will flake off taking the dirt, grime, or grit with it. And I will tell you from personal experience that their statement is very true. I've been using clean ride on my road bike for over two years now, it works amazingly well. There's less gunk on the chain. It's a quieter chain, uh, better shifting, better performance. Uh, for that reason, Clean Ride is my gear of the week pick. 
Now let's talk about apps. My app of the week is another mapping app for road biking uh, called Map My Ride Plus. Um, my buddy Clemente over in Abilene uses Map My Ride Plus. And much like the Runtastic app that I reviewed last week, uh, this is a GPS tracking app that can couple with sensors. Uh, and it has social connections too. And a lot of the features are available only with a subscription. They call it like an MVP or something like that. So one thing it claims to do too is connect with your Misfit Shine, which I have not been able to do. I have tried over and over again. I've never been able to get it to connect. So I don't know. But that said, Map My Ride Plus is still an amazing app. It's simple to use. <clears throat> to me, it does use a lot of battery and data compared to other apps. So like Runtastic to me doesn't use near as much data and battery as the, as the Map My Ride does. And there is a free version and a two ninety nine version, but either way you'll want that MVP subscription to take advantage of any additional features like the, um, voice coaching, live tracking, that sort of thing. And although it's branded Map My Ride, it works just like the other Map My Fitness products like Map My Run and stuff like that and can easily be set to track activities other than road biking, like mountain biking, walking, running, swimming, just about anything else. And of course, any stationary activities, you're going to need special sensors for that stuff. But anyway, now for the best part of the show, for the fun part of the show. Like we said at the start, Josh and Curtis are both active guys. You guys do a lot of different things, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I'm looking to get into bike, mountain biking. And really, I want to do this not only so I can enjoy something a little bit different, but I want to be able to uh, supplement that time that I can't road bike, you know, the off season. When you're road biking, nobody wants to go out when it's 45 degrees. At least I don't. I know a lot of guys who do. They go road biking when it's that cold. But for me, I think I'd rather be mountain biking just for the sake of the of the temperatures. How'd you guys get started trail riding? What got you kind of off the ground, Curtis? Um, well, Josh was just always getting at me to get a mountain bike. He was talking about getting one also. And yeah. Finally just gave in and bought one. Gave in and bought one. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been riding a while longer, Josh, or is this something you kind of latched onto or what? Doing some trail riding or. Um, yeah, I had a, I had a friend that was, uh, into, um, you know, mountain biking and, uh, saved up and got my own mountain bike and, uh, found out about the, uh, awesome local mountain bike park. Yeah. And, uh, Curtis had an old mountain bike that he bought like 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, after, after he, uh, saw how much of an easier time I was having on the trails, he, he, uh, eventually got one too. Yeah. You know, I had the same experience with road biking is that I had a friend who was doing it and he just like, man, you need to get a road bike and come riding with me and just kind of took off from there, you know? But, uh, so what kind of bikes do you guys currently have? What do you got, Josh? Um, I think we're both riding giant. So I'm giant. riding, um, a 2014, uh, giant revel one 29er. That's yeah. a 29 inch mountain bike, pretty big. And, uh, got disc brakes, uh, mechanical disc brakes, but mm -hmm. still a uh, little bit of an upgrade from their entry, their lowest entry level right. mountain bike, which is their, uh, Revel four, I believe. And that's a yeah. 26 inch. Yeah. How about you, Curtis? What do you ride? I first had bought in a Revel one also, but I upgraded cause I, yeah. I just wanted a, a better one. A better I got one. the next step up 
which was the I think it's a 2014 also year model, the giant Italian, the 27.5 inch yeah. wheels. Yeah. So I mean, your experience with the 29 and the 27.5. I mean, I I I've been doing some reading on it myself, being wanting to get wanting to get into it myself. Somebody says that the 29ers give you a little bit more momentum, but the 27.5 gives you more maneuverability. Is that is that really what the case is in your personal experience? With the 27.5, when it just recently came out, I think what it was is people they they didn't want the height of the 29, mm-hmm. but they wanted the the grip that it had. So because it was a bigger tire, it had a little bit better grip on the ground. Mm. So the 27.5 could is, you know, just a little bit bigger than the 26, but it has just as it's as good as the 29. So I see. I see. A lot of people are getting into those now for competitions. I see. Well, how long have you guys both been trail riding around here? A couple of years. A couple yeah, of yeah. years. So you've had a little bit of practice at it. How, how would you rate yourselves, beginner, intermediate, advanced, or or expert? Or no. <laughs> you, you should see some of these trails that, that are marked advanced. Um, we we've definitely progressed uh, from the 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 bunny slope, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and and we're we're now getting into some of the more uh, advanced um, trails, uh, parts of them. We can't do all of the advanced right. trail yet, but. Uh, uh, as far as mountain biking in general goes, I'd say we definitely still are in the beginner phase. Uh, just c- compared to um, some of the videos you see like on YouTube and some of the bigger parks like uh, uh, Big Bend, Palo Duro, stuff like right. that. Uh, definitely would want to get more practice in before attempting to tackle something as big as that. Right. Well, I think the technical uh, ability to do that is quite different from road biking, which is what I'm used to. I mean, road biking, you get on the street and you pedal and you go straight, (laughs) you, you you turn every once in a while, but out there you're constantly having to, to adjust your speed and your, and your, your turns and your control. I just can't imagine that yet, but I'm going to get there. I am just chomping at the bit to try to get out there and give it a try. Um, well, you talked about some of the other trails like Big Bend. Um, I was looking online earlier today and speaking of the Big Bend area that I did not know, and I've been to Fort Davis several times, but Davis Mountain State Park has got some biking trails. Yeah. Have you all ever been out down those or seen them before? Or? Yeah, Josh has a very good experience with that. <laughs> Tell me about that. <laughs> the, he went out there camping with his family and got out there with his mountain bike and he has the type with the detachable shoes. Oh yeah. Like with the road oh, yeah, bikes. The, the clips. Yeah. And Clipless. he forgot his shoes at home. Oh, so he wasn't able to ride. Oh man. My, 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 my only experience, uh, mountain biking in Fort Davis was, uh, leaning my mountain bike up against a tree. I and see. Wishing Watching that it. I could be on it because well, I didn't there's some awesome shoes. hiking down there. Though. So I mean, <laughs> yeah, you could offset is. it that way because the, the views are incredible. So that leads me to another question I just now thought about because as a road biker, I use clipless all the time, but there's, it seems like this ongoing argument in the mountain bike community about whether to use clipless or whether to go with platform pedals. So, I mean, what do you use? Do you use, like, um, you clip they, in or do you have platforms? I usually, for, for the trails that I'm more um, comfortable with, um, I definitely use the clipless. You get oh, really? a lot easier ride just because okay. uh, it's a lot more efficient. Um, 
Now, that being said, uh, if we're trying something new, I definitely want to switch those out for the platforms just so I can bail if I need to. Right. That's something you have to get used to with yeah. mountain biking and doing technical courses is bailing. Yeah. Um, j- just because, you know, it's no fun to, to start uh, rolling down a mountain, you know, still strapped to your mountain bike. Yeah, so. yeah. How about you? You ride platform only? Or yeah, I just I have the platform. I haven't advanced yet to yeah. where I want to use the clip-ins. I've heard a lot of people that do use them for mountain bikes mm-hmm. because you have the the momentum, like not just pushing down with yep. the standard yep. pedal, pull. but pulling yeah. up also. And I guess once people get used to that, they say it's easier with mountain bikes also because you get used to being able to just take your foot off. Yeah. When I first got into road biking. Uh, my my first real road bike, which I still have, I, I ride it regularly. I, when I first bought it, it had tow cages. And if you've ever been in a tow cage and you think you're going to fall over, that thing's almost impossible to get your foot out of in time. And you're going to hit the ground. <laughs> so it did take me long to jump out there and buy uh, some biking shoes and the cleats and, and some clipless pedals and, and start using that because the tow cages were just really cumbersome. I did find that advantage, like you're talking about, of the pull up, especially when when climbing, or when you're really going all out on a, on a on a flat run, and you're you're down all the way in the small gear, and you're just giving it all you got. I'll, a lot of times, I'll use that pull up pressure to give me that extra bit of of power. But I don't know. I just think about the technical ability of being able to to do some of those things. I don't know. I I don't know if I'd want to do it or not. I haven't decided yet. I guess I'd have to try it with platforms first. Yeah, I, did, I would definitely start with platforms, and yeah. once you're comfortable with it, you can yeah. move up to the clipless pedals. Okay. Well, I'll definitely look at that. So well, what kind of gear should I be thinking about investing in when I'm getting into mountain biking? I mean, obviously, I don't need to buy any shoes right off the bat, but um, what what kind of things should I be thinking about? I mean, let's talk about riding apparel just a little bit, because um, road biking you're pretty much wearing a, a skin tight lycra suit, you know, with padding and, and you want, you want as little wind resistance as possible, but mountain biking is a little bit more relaxed, right? Yeah. The, I have some, the padded shorts they are not the skin tight ones. They're mm-hmm. just, they look like regular shorts. Yeah, they have, shorts. I have yeah. some padding shorts on. So there's some mountain bikers. They, they wear like the, the entire gear, you know, okay. the, the, They're like, like a road the bike suit. type yeah. shirts and stuff like that. I see. Uh, yeah. I, I actually like looser fitting clothes for for mountain biking, just personally. And then, uh, uh, you know, also when, when you're riding, um, it, like you mentioned earlier, you might be riding in a little bit colder, wetter weather. So yeah. it, it's nice to kind of layer up and everything. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but definitely the padded shorts, uh, yeah. cycling shorts. Yeah. Uh, they actually do make some specifically for mountain biking. They're less likely to get caught on the seat and stuff like that. I see. Um, that was probably probably the biggest improvement. Um, even switch even after switching out the seat, uh, definitely the padded shorts made the biggest difference for a uh, comfortable ride. Yeah, well, I the first time that I bought cycling gear, you know, a, a what they call a kit, you know, with the with the padded shorts and the and the jersey and all that stuff. I was amazed at how much more comfortable I was and, and how much further I could ride because just having the right apparel, you know, I mean, and especially in the heat of the summer for road biking, anyway, a lot of those things wick the sweat off of you and it actually kind of keeps you cool. 
as you're riding. But, and I, I've seen pictures, a lot of the guys out here at the local trail, um, uh, wearing road biking suits when they're mountain biking. So I guess that's, that's not too uncommon, I suppose. Yeah. Well, let's move on to another little subject here. And this is something I don't have the balance for, but you guys do <laughs> evidently. And that's longboarding. I know it's kind of off the subject of what I normally talk about on this podcast, but I want to hear more about it. What, what is longboarding? Did you want to take this or <laughs> I, I have a lot to say about it. But it. <laughs> well, whoever wants to say something about longboarding, they have typically it's a skateboard, but they're longer in length, a little bit wider for some of them. Surfboard with wheels, right? Yeah, not not quite as long, smaller than a snowboard, but okay. bigger than just a yeah. standard um, skateboard. I think the one I have, they're both like around 40, 42 inches long. Yeah. So basically what you're getting with a longboard is uh, uh, you're getting um, something that you can enjoy the ride with more. So your typical street skateboard, you're going to be, you know, trying to do kickflips, pushits, um, grinding, stuff like that. With a longboard, it's more about just enjoying the cruise, uh, you know, carving, pumping. If you have any hills, uh, they, they do... Um, Lots of different uh, technical sliding and things like that, but uh, it, it's it's more about either transportation or just enjoying the ride. Um, if you go up to like the colleges and things like that, you see a lot of the kids using them for transportation there. Oh, okay. So it's a little bit more um, useful than a regular skateboard. I see. Well, that, let's go back a little bit. You were speaking some longboardies there for a little bit. What is carving? Okay. So, well. To- Tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, no, basically carving is... Um, no turkeys involved, I assume. Right. No turkeys okay. involved. <laughs> Some, sometimes turkeys are involved. <laughs> okay. Yeah, basically, um, it's where you lean uh, back and forth on the board. So basically, you're, you're turning, kind of doing S forms. Uh, oh. A lot of people, you know, that what, whenever you're turning, you're actually gaining speed. So it's a good way, especially if you're on flat ground, if you don't want to be constantly pushing to keep yourself going, if you carve back and forth, it kind of helps propel you along. Kind of just using centrifugal force, I guess. To, exactly. To yeah. do that. Okay. Well, that, that's good to know. I, I noticed that a lot of the cities, even small towns, are starting to put in these skate parks. Do longboarders appreciate these type of places, or is that more for like your skateboarders and rollerbladers? Or if there's enough room, you can use a longboard at a skate park. There's people that are very skilled in longboarding mm-hmm. and can do a lot of the same tricks as people with the normal skateboard. Mm-hmm. Um, for people that aren't that great with just the smaller skateboards, trying to use a, a longboard at a skateboard park could be very bad. <laughs> just all... Curtis knows that person. Yeah. <laughs> He's running that I tried a to go times, down right? a, a ramp on my longboard and it was my first time ever trying that. And I almost... Like twisted my knee and broke it. Oh, I just wow. lost my balance, jumped off the board, and all my weight was and my my force of my momentum was pushing me forward, and all my okay. weight landed on my right leg and jammed Man. my knee pretty bad. Ow, ow! Uh, he actually used his longboard as a crutch to get back to the boat. <laughs> <laughs> kind of lean on it a little bit. So, uh, I mean, it, someone wanting to get started in longboarding uh, for, for fun or for physical activity, I mean, what can they expect to, like, to invest up front? How much money can they get started in the sport for? 
I think Curtis picked his his first longboard up for about hundred and one thirty, I think one thirty something yeah. like oh, that's that. That's not bad. So yeah, it's not it's not yeah. too bad. Um, the good thing is that you know there is more stores that sell them now. You probably want to stay away from you know your Target, Walmart boards just yeah. because you know they're not going to really hold up well. Right. Um, also online, there's some really really good stores uh, that that sell uh, longboard parts at a discount and you can actually put together your own. Um, that's what yeah. I've done. Every single, um, you buy, that you buy a deck and then just put your own. Right. Yeah. Own you basically build it. it up yourself and, and you can usually build it a little bit cheaper than buying it all together. Yeah. Oh, cool. Uh, I think that's pretty awesome. I mean, for me, I just don't have the balance for it and, and I've never been able to do that, but I'm really looking forward to getting into mountain biking. So, well, let's talk about something a little bit. I always try to sneak in a little article about food. Um, and, and it's always something that I, I talk about a lot because obviously the part of this podcast is a personal journey here on me losing weight and, and trying to get healthier. Do you guys do anything different in your diet or because you're young, you can get away with eating whatever you want? I can't <laughs> do that anymore. <laughs> I mean, I learned after about about 25 that it was just downhill from there when it came to eating whatever I felt like eating. I mean, do you guys do anything special? I mean, just out of curiosity. I've tried many different types of diets. Mm -hmm. And what I've been doing for the past, I think, close to a year and a half, two years now, I've been – the brand is Isogenics is what oh, okay. I've been I've heard of that. using. Yeah. Typically, I'll have one of their Miller replacement shakes for breakfast in the morning. That's what I have every day. Right. Sometimes if I'm really sticking to it, I'll have like either a shake or a meal replacement bar for lunch mm -hmm. or like something really healthy like that. I, okay. There's now, been the, a while. Those I meal haven't. replacement bars and shakes, I guess they've got a pretty good balance of, of you know, the, you know, proteins, carbohydrates yes. uh, and uh, minerals and whatever else you might need in that. Where you, can, where you can have a, a reasonable substitute. Yeah, I can, for my size, mm -hmm. I can. And for um, our listeners, how tall are you? I'm around 6'4". Yeah. I haven't weighed myself in a while. I'm probably somewhere at least 275. Yeah. I can, I can sit guy. down yeah. and eat a whole pizza. Well, I'm 5'10", and keep in mind that two years ago, uh, I was 275. Yeah. <laughs> that gives you some perspective on that. So, uh, but how about you, Josh? Uh, you do anything in particular or? Yeah, I'm also six foot four. And, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, actually I've been, I've been experimenting. So I'm, I'm kind of a fan of the low carb, high protein, mm -hmm. um, diet style. Uh, you do have to be careful with that just because, you know, if you lower your carbs, you're going to have less energy yeah. um, to do awesome stuff like mountain biking, longboarding, yeah. but um, I really like, uh, I don't know if any of y'all have heard of it before. It's called hemp seed and, and you know, it, it is what the name says it is, right. but yeah. it, it's perfectly legal. It's, um, actually called, considered a superfood. It's, uh, oh, okay. the highest source of fiber in the world. So like out of all the plants, highest Be source of beats fiber. out flaxseed even, huh? Yeah. Wow. It, it is the highest source of fiber from any plant. Um, it's also very, very high in protein and it's, uh, you know, just overall really good for you. Um, so I bet it's I, really, I like really high in dollars too. You know, it's not too bad. <laughs> it's not too bad. I think I've had a, a canister of it. it. They run about $15 at the health food store oh, okay. and uh, that usually lasts me, you know, several months. So wow. that, that's not bad at that's all. That's a good investment. 
And usually I, I mix it with some um, frozen berries and uh, some almond milk. Yeah. Like almost like a smoothie. Yeah. Make yeah. a smoothie out of that. Awesome. I, I really like that. And that sounds pretty good. I, I may look into that myself just to see, um, you know, uh, uh, you're right about the low carb thing, especially when you're physically active, you got to have some carbohydrates when you're physically active, because that's what your muscles are going to need to burn. And granted your muscles can burn protein and fat. It just takes them longer to get there. And when you're physically active, you kind of need that energy. Like right then you can't wait, <laughs> but, and one thing I always tell people, I've been telling them almost every show now is your recovery. You know, after you've had a really good heavy workout, get some kind of protein in you to, to recover and your muscles will thank you. You know, they're, they're going to be real happy about that. So I want to share this article. It was from uh, time magazine just a couple of days ago about where dietary fat guidelines went wrong. And it's, despite years of research, they've been saying that what they've been saying now for the past 40 some odd years was wrong about fat. And, uh, this, uh, person who wrote the article, uh, Alice Park was reporting on a Zoe Harkham, who is a researcher at university, uh, West of Scotland. Her colleagues say that the data decision makers had in 1977, when the first United States guidelines on dietary fat were made, did not provide any support for the idea that eating less fat would translate to fewer cases of heart disease or that it would save lives. The bottom line, she says, is that there wasn't evidence for those guidelines to be introduced. And when the recommendations were made in 1970s, heart disease at that time was claiming more U.S. lives than any other cause of death and still has retained that distinction for most of the ensuing years. And so public health and government officials were eager to get on the low-fat bandwagon. The problem was that 30% uh, in the study were not tested, let alone proven, in fact, some data even contradicted the idea that the fat we take in from food had anything to do at all with artery clogging plaques that cause heart disease. In one study, men were fed copious amounts of high fat foods like butter, eggs, portions of cream and the like, and they did not show higher levels of blood cholesterol, suggesting that the fat from the food had nothing to do or if anything, little to do with the cholesterol circulating in the body and produced by the liver. So um, they conclude by saying basically that um, that what she's saying is eat real food. Don't eat a lot of adulterated and processed foods, um, healthy fats, proteins, carbohydrates that your body needs. And uh, you won't have to worry about those guidelines. And you know what I say, eat in moderation. <laughs> I mean, if you... I don't care what you're eating out there. Just if you eat in moderation, I think you're going to be healthier and happier every time. I don't think you have that to worry about. But at this point, they're saying more qualified research as of late. Having fat in your diet is not going to cause heart disease. You need some, a little bit, and especially the, the healthy oils. Well, I bet hemp seed has got plenty of healthy oils. Yeah. You know? So well, I, I'm going to research that. I think we'll talk about that in another episode. I'll, I'll bring that out. That'll be a good one. Well, that's it for this episode. I'd like to thank Josh and Curtis for being on the show this week. Thanks for having us. And please join me next week for another episode. And like always, in the meantime, get off the couch. <laughs>